Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to a pro-life attorney, Mike Seibel. Now, I've known about his work for a long time. He has been going after abortionists in the U.S., some of the most notorious, some of the most evil abortionists in the United States for quite a long time. But I actually met him in person for the first time in Washington, D.C., the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Like many other pro-life activists, he went to D.C. to be part of that historic experience, to speak at the same pro-life conference that I spoke at. And I got a chance to talk to him about his experiences, and I was just really fascinated by the way he is exposing the dark underbelly of the abortion industry and the way in which he has uncovered so many of the horrifying things that go on behind closed doors. I think that his work is particularly valuable in a post-Roe world where you have, you know, half of America attempting to claim that the killing of pre-born children in the womb is reproductive health care or simply health care. And what Mike's work reveals is that most of these abortionists are simply butchers, that the things that go on inside their clinics are horrifying, that they are pillaging the corpses of aborted babies for spare parts to be sent off for research. He has been relentless in going after the people who are doing this to the least of these. And I wanted to have a conversation with him to share a lot of his work, especially exposing the reality of organ harvesting in the abortion industry. This is that conversation. So before we get into your long-standing campaign against one of America's most notorious abortionists, maybe give our listeners a bit of an idea of how you got into the pro-life movement in the first place and how you went from, from, a, from a lawyer to a lawyer who's basically doggedly pursuing the abortion industry. So back in, in 2015, a local pro-lifer by the name of Elisa Martinez here, the head of New Mexico Alliance for Life, got into a car accident. And it was June the 23rd, 2015. I met with her. And what, what ended up happening is she came into my office and she didn't want to talk to her about the car accident. She wanted to talk about the fact that they were selling body parts out of the University of New Mexico. And for me, it was it was sort of a, a shocker in the world. I was thinking, okay, who's this crazy person coming into my office telling me that they're selling body parts out of the state of New Mexico? She laid out a couple of the things that were going on, and I sat, and, you know, I am a religious man, so I prayed about it. And then one day I was reading an article of Karen Garnett, who who is with her media now, and she wrote an article about Boyd knowing that he was killing and that he was sending the spirits of these pregnancies back to God. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, I can't let this happen. I can't let innocent babies in the third trimester die and it be justified by a religious, what I consider wrongly, a religious wrong doctrine in this situation that he was justifying that it was okay by God. So I, I decided to get involved, and sure enough, we sent some IFRA requests, and we found out that they were selling baby body parts out of the University of New Mexico from the third trimester late-term abortionist here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Curtis Boyd. All right, so maybe break this down for those. So many of our listeners will have followed the Center for Medical Progress scandals. We've We've talked to Mark Crutcher before where he detailed how Baby bodies were being essentially pillaged for parts and sold off. But when you say we're selling body parts, maybe break it down a little bit. What do you mean by that? 
So essentially what has been happening since 1995, Curtis Boyd has entered into an agreement with the University of New Mexico that, that he would become a professor at the University of New Mexico and they would refer late-term abortion cases, which were about eighteen dollars to $24,000 apiece, depending on, on the, the, the gestational age, in exchange for all the body parts supplied to the University of New Mexico. And then the University of New Mexico supplied a 19-university network of fetal tissue research all across this country, across the continent, everything from University of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, was exchanging body parts with the University of New Mexico in exchange for their rights in the study and the study materials under the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health Funding Projects here in New Mexico in the United States. So they were shipping body parts up to the uh, to Canada in this situation and exchange for referrals from Canada as well. Curtis Boyd is the primary third trimester abortion doctor for almost all Canadian people. So this was a, a scheme in, in this situation to avoid the, the body parts, you know, the actual sale of body parts, but instead to get referral and research money back to the University of New Mexico and Curtis Boyd in exchange for providing body parts for medical research under the Nas- National Institute of Health contracts. So which body parts do the universities want? <laughs> well, the University of New Mexico was shipping brains to Canada, to the University of Al- uh, Alberta, Edmonton, Canada, and the Children's Research Hospital up there. They, they've done everything from eyes to skin to lungs. They mixed the cells of, of babies' lungs with rats, and we call that one the rat, rat lung study. What else? Livers intestines, pancreas, and most gruesome of them all, skin. I know quite a bit about the, the abortion procedure. How in the world are they both killed? Like, like the late-term abortions are really messy. It usually involves, you know, dismemberment, skull crushing, and, and the fetus is basically torn apart in order to get it out of the woman in small enough pieces. So how are they, how are they performing abortions on babies in, in such a way as to get the parts you're talking about? There's three types of abortions. You have your suction abortion, you have your dismemberment or d and abortions, and you have labor induction abortions. Labor induction abortions, I'll, I'll, I'll take first. Labor induction abortions usually, usually I say this, involve giving the baby digoxin on the first day and inducing labor over a three-day time period, which leaves an intact stillborn baby still alive. So it's not dismemberment after 24 weeks at his clinic. Matter of fact, there's one case out there that it's not dismemberment. They weren't doing D&Es. They were doing intact D&Es, killing the baby, supposedly, and delivering the baby's whole at that particular time. They were doing guided ultrasounds for to, to scrape the baby out prior to 15 weeks at his his clinic, and getting the parts as in, as intact as impossible or as possible in this situation. So they weren't doing the standard suction, and they were going down and harvesting babies' brains as early as nine weeks in these abortions for the study. And so besides this rat lung study you're referring to, let's say when when Curtis Boyd kills babies and then extracts their brains and those brains get sent by the university 
to Edmonton? What, what, what is the Canadian university doing with these brains? They were doing a Davoprotein study. I, I'm not exactly sure of the mechanics of it up in the University of Ed- Edmonton, looking for proteins that were inside the brain cells inside these fetuses. So what they were doing is the University of New Mexico was extracting the brain and then taking a FedEx, and this is on Abortion on Trials website, a site that we run, and they were taking those brains and FedExing them to University of Edmonton, Canada. Our website, we have a, a couple of the FedEx packages slip receipts from the University of New Mexico to the University of Edmonton, as well as the material transfer agreements that they had in this particular case. We also, we don't have the studies up, but we can send the studies to everybody in Canada. Recently, I've sent a couple of the studies up to Canada because I have a feeling that they are finding a new source in Canada outside of Curtis Boyd and the University of New Mexico since that fetal tissue research network has been shut down. Just so the listeners understand the literally gory details of what we're talking about, when you say that brains get sent you know, by FedEx, what we mean is that, that a baby is essentially being destroyed and then the doctor's cutting open their face and cutting through their skull to get at the brain and ship it to a university. Is that correct? That is correct. They're shipping it to a university exactly as you described. They're not just looking for the brains, they're looking for other parts for other studies. So they're they're just using the baby as a cadaver in this situation. And what we're finding out is they, they were they were putting a undue pressure University of New Mexico on Curtis Boyd to get these brains, hearts, lungs, skin, everything else. And in turn, Curtis Boyd was putting undue pressure on on the women to have abortions. And do the women know that their babies are going to be be dismembered and and basically sold off piecemeal? It's in the fine print that they can do, Curtis Boyd can do whatever he wants with it, but that's not the law in New Mexico. So, you know, they, they needed to, this is essentially how we shut it down, is they needed to comply with New Mexico law and give a detailed informed consent. Once they started doing the informed consent under those situations, the women did end up knowing. And once they started to know they were shipping the brains off, they got no more donations for fetal tissue research. What is something about the practice of of harvesting baby body parts and sending them off for research in the U.S. and elsewhere that people do not need to know but need to know? Well, what they need to know is is they typically do not tell women that they're actually taking these body parts. What essentially is happening is they're not telling the women that they have this interest in this medical research, whether it be financial or whether it be for just posterity, posterity's sake or, you know, a professional advancement. And they they are deeming these as non-human subject research and sending them off. The problem is, is they're putting undue pressure on women to have abortions because they have to meet this medical research need. It's not that they're just sitting there throwing away parts. These universities have a set timeline to do this NIH research. So they need parts in in mass and in volume so that they can get these parts as quick as possible. And a lot of times they will call the clinics up and say, we need these hearts and we need them right away. When can I get these hearts? When can I get these brains? When can I get all these other, these other items? And, you know, they're, they're putting pressure on the women so much so that we have one client who is locked in a room for four hours to get her to change her mind on her abortion. 
that is false imprisonment, kidnapping. And the the university is putting pressure on the the abortionists who are putting pressure on the women and who might otherwise decide decide to choose life and they're they're marketing to women more so to get these body parts and and feed this insatiable demand for fetal tissue research that goes way back to the 1970s so when you're saying insatiable demand how many of america's major universities are engaging in experimentation on body parts taken from babies killed during abortions We didn't have too many American universities after the Daleiden scandal and and, and this scandal. We went hand-in-hand with the Daleiden scandal. We worked with the Select Panel on Infant Lives on the university models. But there were about 27 major universities in the United States at that time. After that, Trump put a, a, a moratorium on not funding the NIH fetal tissue research, which has been recently reopened by the Biden administration. So we're just seeing where these universities are are coming out and doing fetal tissue research again. Now, let's get into something else, which is who Curtis Boyd is. The listeners will have heard you you mention him a couple of, uh, of times. He is one of America's most infamous and prolific abortionists. I've been reading about him in, in the news for, for years already because of the work that you've been doing, because of the work that other other conservative journalists have done. I didn't really know the extent of his life story until I read The Family Row by by Joshua Prager, which came out last year. It's a you know a brick sized history of both the pro life movement and the abortion movement, or at least purports to be as such. And Prager tries to be fair, but he goes to such great lengths to disguise the abortion procedure. You can tell which side he's on. Maybe give us a bit of a backdrop. Who who is Doctor Curtis Boyd? So Dr. Curtis Boyd is who I like to call is the godfather of abortion in this country. He has 250,000 admitted kills that he has done in the family row, which is more six times more than Gosnell, uh, for instance, who is considered America's biggest serial killer back in 13. This is a high volume person that has been in business since 1967. His clinics have killed over 700,000 people. That is 1% of Roe or almost as many as it's more than all the American lives lost in the Civil War, which was 600,000 people. This is a a prolific killer in the United States. He has incredible financial backing and ties. He was a professor at the University of California, San Francisco, professor at the University of New Mexico. He was named the Humanitarian of the the Year by the National Abortion Federation in 1989-1990. And he is a founding member of the National Abortion Federation. He has sued, he has been involved in two Supreme Court cases, numerous Court of Appeals cases. He donates incredible amounts to political candidates all over this country to keep abortion legal and especially into the third trimester. He is simply one of the most powerful abortionists there are in this country. He is a folklore hero of the left and and the abortion industry. They revere him. He was writing his memoirs in 2017, but I think I've interrupted a couple of his memoirs. Why have so few people heard of him? You know, Curtis has, he does not like to be in the news. He does not like to be controversial. He likes to be under the radar. 
One of the articles that I read from one of his ex-employees said, you know, the worst thing that can happen to Curtis Boyd is that somebody actually knows who he is. I mean, to give you an example, when he was in Athens, Texas in 1967, he started one of the first Planned Parenthood clinics inside the courthouse in Athens, Texas, and introduced sex education to first to sixth graders in 1967 into the schools. This guy keeps under the radar. He does not like any publicity whatsoever other than, you know, his folklore of doing 10,000 illegal abortions prior to Roe versus Wade. How old is he now? He is 85, almost 86 years old. And still doing abortions, isn't he? He came back, he he had retired and was only running the practice for about four to five years. And he retired in 2016 and was only the administrator. But after Texas passed their SB8 bill, he came back from September till March. We saw him at the clinics out there, but we have not seen him since March. The latest pictures, he's really aged a lot in the last three years that I've seen in the last two years since I've seen him. He he was not doing well health-wise when we deposed him the last time and has, has been avoiding depositions based on health. So I think his health is catching up to him. Have you met him in person before? I've shaken his hand numerous times. I have sat, he has sat in my conference room. What is your impression of him? You know, he is a very personable man. I mean, he he... He is a Southern gentleman. He he is very likable in many respects. He's just got a good personality and he's he's pleasant. And, you know, the, the problem is, is, you know, he, he seems off. He seems like he's doing, thinks he's doing good for women when he's not. He's actually hurting a lot of women in New Mexico and, and nationwide, both physically and emotionally. And, you know, it's just this this false sense of of that he's doing good. A little bit narcissistic. He likes his attention from the people that are in front of him, but he, he likes to keep kind of stealth underneath the radar in the public eye. Because, you know, Tiller claimed to be a Lutheran and, and, and you know, went to the Lutheran church. Doesn't, doesn't Boyd claim to be a Presbyterian or something like that? Let me give you a little history about Curtis Boyd. So Curtis Boyd was ordained a minister while he was at college in Texas A&M. And then he went to the infamous First Unitarian Church in Dallas when he was at University of Texas Southwestern Medical School, which just happens to be where Linda Coffey got her start, who is the lawyer in Roe versus Wade. And he converted to being a Unitarian minister in, in the 1960s. And he was a Unitarian minister and preacher, and I still think he's a Unitarian to this day. No kidding. Linda Coffey's still around, right? That's a total side note. Linda Coffey is about 30 miles away from Curtis's hometown in Athens, Texas. Did anybody get a reaction from her on the full of row? Somebody did get a reaction from her. There was an article, and and I just can't remember. She was upset, but, you know, when Coffee was really thrown under the bus by the abortion industry, Sarah Weddington got all the credit. Linda Coffee currently lives 
in Mineola, Texas, where she has a home where she has no plumbing in there and she doesn't have the funds to afford daily supplies in 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 Mineola, Texas. It's really a shame what the left did to her and through they just don't care. They don't care that this hero of Roe is now essentially living impoverished. And I know certain pro-lifers have delivered groceries to her house recently. So let's get into the details of, so you you explained how you discovered Curtis Boyd and we talked about the, the baby body parts. And now we gave our listeners a sense of who Curtis Boyd is. It's, it's kind of funny because for the listeners who know I was in DC right after, after Roe fell, we all went out for for a drink at the Dubliner that night. And, and uh, I was trying to buy Mark Harrington of Create Equal Beer, and then and then you paid for them, and you said, "Don't worry, Curtis Boyd paid for these." And uh, and I like I knew you had sued him before, but I I wasn't aware of the extent to which your career is focused on making America's top abortionist miserable. So maybe give us a bit of a get a bit, a bit of a, a breakdown of what your your campaign against Curtis Boyd is all about. Well, first, we, we, we did get a couple of referrals from the Select Panel on Infant Lives against Curtis Boyd, criminal referrals, and the University of New Mexico for the body parts. We worked extensively with March Bell and Frank Scaturro on the Select Panel and Marsha Blackburn to get those referrals. But since that time, we've been uh, filing suit after suit after suit against Curtis Boyd. And one of the biggest suits is a, a suit against Keisha Atkins. And Keisha Atkins was a 23-year-old Black woman, Black and Native American woman in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who went in for a late-term abortion to the University of New Mexico. And they said, look, we don't do elective abortions after 24 weeks or after six months. Um, you're going to have to go to Curtis Boyd. And they referred him to Curtis, her to Curtis Boyd. Curtis Boyd injected the baby on the first day with digoxin. Keisha became extremely septic on the second day. And uh, if you know anything, what they do is when they they do these late-term abortions, they place laminary in the morning, and then they tell the woman to go home until she's ready to, to, to deliver the dead stillborn. And, you know, they don't monitor these people overnight by any means. They don't monitor their blood work like they would with the normal labor induction of somebody who is going through an OBGYN procedure. That The second night, what ended up happening is the water broke. Sometime during the middle of the night, Keisha and her mother called in. She had a high fever, 103-degree fever. They said, ah, don't worry about it. Just coming in in the morning. She came in in the morning. She she had a, a pulse rate that ranged from 120 to 140. She had a high fever, shortness of breath, all signs of classic sepsis. And they did nothing for 10 hours. They they didn't, you know, they just monitored her, her labor process. And at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, then on that Friday, the third day of the procedure, what ended up happening is her O2 saturation rate dropped into the 80s. And so they immediately gave her Benadryl, you know, the over-the-counter Benadryl, to see if that would work. And it didn't work, and they shipped her to the University of New Mexico Hospital. She had a 25,000 white blood count cell rate. And a what it, one of the indicative factors of, of sepsis is she had a 3.1 lactate. Two is normal. I was talking to a, a, a local ER doc the other night, and he said, oh, my goodness, she was going to die almost immediately with a lactate that high. She had extreme sepsis. 
And what ended up happening is they tried everything in their, their world to save her, but they couldn't save her at the University of New Mexico, and she died. So the University of New Mexico tried to cover up the abortion as the cause of death. They said it was a pulmonary embolism. I got the internal emails. We sued the, the University of New Mexico for, for negligent referral and Curtis Boyd for the wrongful death of, of Keisha Atkins. Now, I am bound by a confidentiality agreement. The amount of the Curtis Boyd settlement is public. It is in the Albuquerque Journal on a May 10th um, what is it, uh, article, but we were able to sue the University of New Mexico for 365000 just for referring to Curtis Boyd, just for the negligent referral. So that was the largest malpractice abortion verdict in New Mexico, and the largest one that I know of that's been reported since 2014 in this country. There, I'm sure there have been others, but none of them have been, have been reported since 2014. What's the the path forward look like for the campaign against Curtis Boyd? Well, we've got a ton of things going on. We've got two new lawsuits that are about to be filed against Curtis Boyd. We've still got one case that's headed to trial in the next year out here against Curtis Boyd. They're really interesting cases. One is going to, your listeners will, will get to hear it first, is going to be the wrongful death of a viable 26-week-old fetus. It's going to be an interesting case that we're going to bring out here. New Mexico law actually recognizes that a, vi- a fetus is viable, that is viable, has a right to file their own wrongful death estate out here. And we just happen to have one of those cases against Curtis Boyd. We we still have baby body parts cases going forward in this case. I'm sure there's going to be another case. Over 50 women have been injured in, in the last seven years that have required transports to the hospital. And then just to, to, to make things a little bit more fun, Mark Lee Dixon and I have teamed up and we have garnered a petition in Athens, Texas, his hometown, to make that a sanctuary city for the unborn, as well as he has a private family cemetery out there. The family members, his family members, are actually cooperating with us and are, are looking into donating one of those plots to have a monument for the unborn so that Curtis can actually see that on his video cameras from his property, which borders the private cemetery. And, and they, they look into that private cemetery. So hopefully I can build a monument there for the unborn babies that were killed in Athens, Texas, prior to Roe versus Wade. Additionally, there, we are looking into, since Texas has brought back the pre-Roe statutes, whether or not the statute of limitations applies to those cases that he, he did pre-row that he's admitted to 10,000 abortions we're we're looking into seeing if that can be prosecuted so well you know every day's a, a new day to to go after Curtis Boyd also out here you know hopefully we'll bring a a late term abortion ban here in New Mexico which is the the late term capital of North America yeah i was going to say how does the fall of Roe v Wade affect your work it doesn't in New Mexico. New Mexico is the most liberal pro-abortion jurisdiction in the country. There is no more liberal jurisdiction. We have 16 providers moving from other states. I was just at a rally down at the Pink House. The Pink House, the Jackson's Women's Health, that was in Mississippi, the center of the Dobbs case, moved from Mississippi, 
to Las Cruces, New Mexico. So we have all the bad abortionists in New Mexico, in the country coming here. We have Diane Durzas, who ran the, the pink house, who's moving there into New Mexico. We have Whole Women's Health. We have Alamo Women's Health out of San Antonio, Paul Baird, moving into New Mexico. And each and every day, I, I find a new bad guy to fight. So I always like to say that the supervillains of the abortion industry are all coming to New Mexico. It kind of seems counterintuitive that New Mexico, of all places, is the most pro-abortion state. Why is that? What happened is, is we are a very Catholic and very Christian state. Our abortion rate is not all that high if you look at in-state residents. We, we are about 7% abortion rate compared to, say, New York or, or Florida, which are around 22 to 25%. The problem was in the in the early 2000s, some of this comes from Curtis Boyd, the University of New Mexico got got very, very powerful due to the fetal tissue research. They're now one of our biggest employers in the in the state of New Mexico, even more so than Walmart. So as a result, we got very progressive, very fast in New Mexico. In 2004, we, we were a very pro-life state for voting. Since that time, the progressives have really taken over this, the, the state. And almost everything is Democrat. They have a complete trifecta over the legislature, the the Supreme Court, and the governorship right now. So, you know, we have become a very progressive state. We had a lot of Californians moved in, move in, and they ran for office here. Now, just to get a bit of a sense, it's it's always difficult when when I'm when I'm interviewing somebody who's got so much private stuff on the go because I'm never sure how specific to be with my questions. But maybe give her give her listeners a heads up. I know you have a whole bunch of stuff on the go. What what are some things that you can tell us about in your fight against the bad guys, as you put it? Well, the fight against the bad guys. I mean, we're always looking for cases. We have a couple of cases that are about to come out. If you look on our our website, we are about to to an abortion on trial sue for a woman down in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We this is a really interesting case. Medical abortion. She called in. They said, "Oh, you have COVID. Don't worry about it." And right after that phone call, she gave birth to the baby in her own hand. So. They did a medical abortion, supposedly a surgical abortion, and she still has the baby. So she, her husband gets really mad, calls the clinic and says, we're going to, well, you know, I, he's not here, so you can't do that. She tells the receptionist, well, I want my medical records. Well, we can't give you your medical records. And she said, well, I want the baby that I brought in back and gave to you. I want it back. And the receptionist said, no, this baby is mine now. So she loses the set. And they, now we got her off criminally. But now we're going to go ahead and sue civilly. But that is the one of the only cases I know in this country that a woman was arrested for having an abortion. And we don't talk about that case nationally. But it should be talked about it. And we have, you know, videos of her getting arrested online. And the only people who came to her aid, the only people who helped her out, whereas Southwest Coalition for Life and their their people on the ground out there, they made sure she got medical help and they got her out of jail and they've taken care of her ever since. It was the pro-lifers that came to her aid, not the pro-choices. And hopefully we'll we'll get a rally down here and see if we can really kind of, you know, magnify that in this post-row era. 
We have a variety of other medical malpractice cases. We're working with the sanctuary cities, organizations. You know, we're extremely busy. There's a lot of cases that are going on. We have a, a case that's online where a sidewalk advocate went out to pray and the security guard did the woman and detained her on the property, which is in violation of New Mexico law. So we're always busy doing something down here, but those cases are all headed to trial very quickly. And hopefully we'll get some good verdicts and close some clinics down. Mike, where can people follow your work and check out what you're up to? Abortionontrial.org is one of our places. You know, that is one of the easiest places for us to, to find us. If you're on Facebook, you know, Abortion on Trial on Facebook. And if you like snarky commentary about these cases, go to TikTok and follow Jamie Jeffries, our executive director on Abortion on Trial on Abortionally Dangerous. And, you know, I'm looking into it and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking I could probably retire off of these abortion pill cases because they, they're going to be lucrative. Mike, thanks a million for taking the time to share all this with us. Oh, you bet. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Mike Seibel. I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy is probably the wrong word considering a lot of the subject matter that we covered, but I hope that you were enlightened by it and I hope you were inspired by his work. For more conversations like this, head over to lightsightnews.com, click on the podcast tab. You can find the Van Maren Show there and you will be able to download our podcasts wherever you get your content. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you'll join us again next week.